Beloved, if you would turn in God's holy, infallible word to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, and put your finger there, also turn over to Colossians chapter 3, 20 to 21. We'll begin reading in chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. I've entitled the sermon, Pleasing the Lord as Obedient Children and Loving Parents. Pleasing the Lord as Obedient Children and Loving Parents. It is by God's providence today we are in these two pivotal texts as they relate to a child's obedience and a father's instruction on this Father's Day. Let me, my way, say thank you, fathers. Uh, and thank you, Heavenly Father, right, from whom all, every good and perfect gift comes. So it's good to be in God's house on this day. By way of context, we've been looking at the Christian household. We've been looking at Paul as he's been describing for us the, the, the Christian household code, if you will, having begun with a foundational relationship in the Christian home of wives and husbands, Paul now turns his attention to that of the obedience of children and fathers, respectively, in their instruction of their children. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, and then we'll flip over to um, Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. This is God's Word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now let's turn over to Colossians we're going to pick up in verse 17, Colossians verse 17, as those having been crucified to this domain of darkness out of which we've been translated into the kingdom of the beloved Son, been giving a new nature with the law of God now written on our hearts, empowered by God himself, God the Holy Spirit, enabling us by his Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to put on Jesus Christ, the clothing that God gives us. In Christ, he addresses us now in verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting or proper in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh or embittered with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke or exasperate your children, lest they become discouraged or lose heart. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and infallible word. May he add his blessing to it. Let us pray and seek the Spirit's face. Our Father, we come before you now asking that you would come and bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart. Oh, Father, that you would feed us the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, that you have enabled us, having forgiven all of our sins and acquitted us and justified us positionally in the status of being righteous in our Lord Jesus Christ. You've given us your Holy Spirit as the, the great 
guarantor of the inheritance that yet remains for us to have and the consummation of the new heavens, new earth. We come as your new humanity in Jesus Christ, those who are being progressively sanctified to image the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we come particularly looking at our children and your desire for their obedience in Jesus Christ and for the instruction of fathers to take the reins, so to speak, in the home and instruct and discipline their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Oh, Father, we look to you to give the increase here, that we, your people, would be the city on the hill, that we, your people, would be leavened in this dying, nihilistic, and corrupted age, that we would be all that you've called us to be, that we would live worthy of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now in his holy name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, tells the story about two builders. The one who hears his word and proceeds to build their house metaphorically on the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is likened to a a man who built his house on the rock. The storms come, the, the waves crash against that house. All the elements attack that house, but that house stands because that house is built on the rock. And that rock is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the lover of your soul. But there's another builder that Jesus draws our attention to. And this man is likened to a a foolish man who builds his house because he does not heed and listen and obey the Word of God. He likens him to a man who builds his house on sand. The same storm comes and the same rain beats on that house. The same waves crash against that house. But that house cannot stand because that house is not built on the rock. It's built on sand. Jesus tells us the house fell, and he says, mega was its fall, great was its fall. Church, this crashing reality of not building the family on the Word of God is happening all around us. Everywhere we look, in the words of Hosea 8, we're living in a culture that has sown to the wind, and now we are reaping the whirlwind. Beloved, the challenges to live the Christian life, particularly as it's seen in the home, are immense, to say the least. Most, if not all, the Christian capital that once shaped our cultural institutions has been washed out to sea. And yet, for such a time as this, here we are. The kiosk, we are here. God has placed us here today to to live out the Christian life, to live as witnesses to the truth, not a truth, but the truth. To adorn what our dying world despises, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world's only hope. And in no place is this adornment more needed than in the Christian home where husbands sacrificially love their wives. 
and put the interest of their wives and the commonwealth of their home before anything else. That's what they do. It's who they are. It's how they roll, so to speak. And wives who respectfully submit to that fallible man who's not perfect by any stretch. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, because they've been purchased, and they're not their own, they submit to that man, humbly following him as he leads. Well, today we come to children obeying parents, and parents instructing, not provoking children. And I thought to myself, I have here in my notes, I want us to understand, church, we're in this together. We need each other. We all have a vested stake, as I said last week, regarding the institution of marriage. We're all in. It's the bedrock, really, of the way society, Western civilization exists, and the family as it's defined by God, the architect and builder, the maker, the creator, the redeemer, the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's look at this text, or these couple of texts this morning, under these two simple headings, I want to be clear, because Paul's clear, right? doesn't mean it's simple, but he's not ambiguous, right? Children obey. Fathers don't provoke, for this pleases the Lord. So let's look at the two texts in Ephesians and Colossians under these two headings, obedient children and loving parents. So, obedient children and loving parents. First, obedient children, verse 20 from Colossians 3. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The word children here, in context, is rightly understood as those who are younger, those who live under the, the supervision of their parents. And at risk of stating the obvious, Pastor Bullock, you're always stating the obvious. You're Captain Obvious. I don't care, really, because I think it's imperative that we understand the obvious, lest we miss it. Notice Paul's assumption. Notice Paul's expectation regarding the covenant community in Colossae. He addresses the children. They're gathered under the reading of God's Word in the corporate worship of God's Word. The, the children are present. The children matter to Paul. They matter to God the Holy Spirit. And children, notice this, and I want to speak to you because Paul speaks to the children there at Colossae, and I think it would be unfortunate if I don't address you. And what's so awesome about the word children, it's quite expansive, is it not? But that Paul speaks to you directly as responsible members in the visible church, both communicant children, those of you who have professed faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and those of you who have not, non-communing members in the visible church. Paul speaks. And children, remember this. Remember the Lord Jesus' admonition to his disciples when his disciples thought they knew better than the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, he's too busy for the children. The children cannot come unto him. He's too busy. He has places to go, people to heal. 
But Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. This was revolutionary in the Roman world. You see, children were insignificant to say the least. That's so countercultural today where they're the center of everyone's universe. In the first century, that was not the case. <laughs> the home did not revolve around the children. Many of them didn't make it past childhood, to be honest. The life expectancy was so short, but many did, and Paul addresses them. But notice what Paul does here. Has the Holy Spirit specifically instructs you to do? What does he instruct you to do? He says to you, children, now lift your heads, children. Children, obey your parents. To obey literally means to hear under. To hear is one under authority. To listen attentively with a desire to obey. Children, we know this is not easy, do we not? We know it's not easy to obey your parents. The unbelieving world tells you that parents are aloof. They're not cool, right? Teenagers don't think their parents are cool. They're so yesterday. But children, listen to me. Don't believe the lie. No one, humanly speaking, loves you more than your parents. Your parents love you. They want the best for you. They want Jesus Christ for you. That is the very best they could give you. It's to bring you up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to, to tell you of Jesus and of his love and of his holiness and of his mercy and his kindness and his tenderness and his gentleness for sinners like us. That's what they want for you, kids. They want for what makes your greatest joy. Not just what is good, but what is best. And notice, children, how comprehensive your obedience is to be. In verse 20, notice what it says there with the Holy Spirit. It says, in everything. What does everything mean? It means everything. Children, obey your parents in everything. Having a posture of wanting to obey your mom and dad. Children, this is how you express your faith and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's one obvious exception, right? If they command you to do something contrary to God's word, you must obey God rather than men. You must obey God at all cost. Well, what kind of obedience is Jesus calling the children to? What should be your attitude? Is your outward conformity all that is required? What about a sullen, angry, or begrudging heart attitude toward your mom and dad? Are, are you obedient with joy? Are you a cheerful or begrudging child who obeys? And I ask the big children too. Are you obeying the father with joy? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His commandments are not burdensome. James says there's the law of liberty. If you really want to live and be free, to be all that God calls you to be as a creature, a sinner redeemed, then walk in the law in obedience and be free and do so with a cheerful heart. But mere outward conformity 
falls far short of what God requires. In Ephesians 6, Paul grounds the child's obedience in the fifth commandment that we must honor our parents as well. To honor means, or rather reveals the disposition of the heart. Not only must you submit in outward obedience, but also with a proper attitude of the heart. You see, the obedience that Jesus calls us to is an obedience that does not challenge our parents. It doesn't excuse itself. It takes ownership when it falls short. And it's quick to obey, even when you don't understand why dad is asking you to do what you believe to be such a foolish thing or to to withhold something from you that you want so bad. Why, dad? Everyone else is doing it. Oh, come on, dad. Please, dad. And they go to mom and they try to work mom angle. Or they go to dad and they work that angle against mom. But you see, children, we can see further down the road. We're older. We've experienced. We've been where you're at. I've been 13 before. Have you? You see, at the heart of honoring is a humble deference to our parents, acknowledging God's authority. And like every good father, God gives his children motivation. In Ephesians 6.1, obey your children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see, you're not your own, children. You're not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ, who's your Lord and Savior, who purchased you, who, who bought you, whose sign and seal was placed upon you at covenant baptism, hoping that day would come when you would step into full communion and, and take ownership of your faith that my Father's God is now my God. He's loved me, he's called me, and he's mine, and I'm his. Well, secondly, Paul also says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And in the context before us this morning, Colossians 3, 20, the Spirit says not only is it right, but children, when you obey your parents in everything, notice what Paul says, what the Spirit says, it pleases the Lord. As young people purchased of God, obedience to mom and dad is how you please God. Just like dad who sacrificially loves mom and serves her and mom who willingly submits to dad, as you cheerfully obey your parents in Christ, you please God. God takes pleasure in you. (laughs) He loves you, children. He's for you. He's jealous for your heart, child. Pastor Bullock, you say to yourself, I try. I've had some of the kids tell me this recently. Pastor Bullock, I try. I don't want to sin. I sin. I said, I know. I'm with you. I don't want to sin either. I hate it. I want to hate it more. I want to love what my father loves. And I want to hate what he hates. Because I want to be like my brother Jesus Christ, who for the joy before him secured my salvation who loved me unto death and was raised for my justification. You see, I, I want to please him too. And you see, the good news of the gospel is that though you fail and will never be perfect in this life, children, you will never be perfect in this life. The gospel tells us there is one who obeyed perfectly in your place, our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Luke 2. Jesus went down to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was obedient to them. 
You see what Luke is telling us? He's telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ has been obedient for you, child. He has secured an active righteousness for you. That not only has he died for your sins and forgiven you and washed you and made you whiter than snow, he has secured a righteousness for you, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's yours, received by faith alone, virtue of your union with Jesus Christ. You have his very own righteousness. You have his garments that are clothing you. So though your heart condemn you, God is greater than your heart. You have a righteousness, a perfect righteousness. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ deposited, credited to your account, and by faith you receive it. You see, children in Christ, your heavenly Father is pleased with you. So I want you to go home today and I want you to thank mom, thank dad, give them a hug, and then joyfully obey. Comply. Because the Father is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. And you bigger kids, he's pleased with you too in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ. You're set free to walk in obedience, to run in his commandments, to be a child forgiven and set free to gospel obedience. Well, secondly, to loving parents. We've seen obedient children. Let's look at loving parents. Verse 21 of Colossians. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That is, lest they become broken. That is, lose heart. Paul particularly addresses fathers here. You see, because fathers are the heads of the home. We've stated before the past few weeks, it's, it's not a matter of who's going to be the head of the home. God says you are the head of the home. You're the head of the home, just as Christ is head of the church. So the father is the head of the wife, and he's the head of the home. And the ultimate responsibility for the home and the home's welfare falls on him. And saints, before we look at this negative prohibition against provoking or Exasperating our children, I want to draw your attention to the positive exhortation there in Ephesians 6, 4. Notice what Paul says there, 6, 4, Ephesians. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So first, Father, discipline. The connotation of education and training, that's what God the Father expects of you. You see, it's the Father's primary responsibility with his wife's help to disciple his children. You see, while the church comes alongside, the Lord's Day comes, and aides and the elders and the Sunday school teachers come alongside and aid you fathers in the instruction of your children. The primary responsibility begins and ends with you. The buck stops with you. Fathers, disciple and nurture your children in the Lord. It's the father's role to ensure the children are being instructed and admonished in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 4, 3 through 4. Listen to the book of Proverbs. The writer says, When I was a son of my father, tender, the only one in his sight, the only one in the sight of my mother, he, my father, taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commands and live. 
You ask yourself, well, when do we do this? When does a father to do this? Well, Levi read from Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you see, fathers, it's 24-7, it's 365, you're on. That's what God, the Holy Spirit, is calling you to in Jesus Christ as a, as a son, adopted in the beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's in enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God to do what God commands. As Augustine would pray, command what you will, Father, but grant what you command. And he has in his Holy Spirit. Not only is the father to disciple the children, notice, secondly, the father is to discipline the children. While the culture villainizes parents who discipline and dares correct their children, could anything be more clear in the word of God than the instruction to fathers to discipline children? Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope Do not set your heart on putting him to death. You know how you do that? By doing nothing. By abdicating your responsibility. It's a positive command. You're not passive. You're active. You're you're instructing. You're disciplining. You're discipling your son. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, the rod is not the instrument for every violation, but it is to be used. It's clear that the Word of God commands it. You see, fathers, in instructing and lovingly disciplining your children, your your child's soul and conscience is being shaped. That little soul is being shaped to learn right from wrong. It's your responsibility to shape that little conscience, to teach them that if you disobey, son, there are consequences to disobedience, just as there are blessings to obedience. Biblical correction teaches them the reality of these things. And it teaches them this, and I thought this week, implicitly, how both the law and the gospel work. It's your responsibility. As you instruct them, you're teaching them how the law comes and condemns sin is the mirror that exposes sin. And the gospel comes and washes that sin away in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're teaching them all the time through your discipline how the gospel works. Let me say this too, though. I think it's important that this act of discipline is not a license to emotionally or physically abuse your child. Our discipline must follow the example of the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. And never forget the goal in Christian discipline. It's Christian discipline. It's not punitive. (laughs) Right? The punishment's been paid. Jesus said at 3 o'clock that afternoon on Good Friday, John 19.31, it is finished. It's been paid in full. The punishment has been rendered. The Son has paid it in full. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in the son in whom he delights. 
Hebrews 12 will pick up on this and say, regarding this discipline of the Heavenly Father, so that we might partake of the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Do you see what the writer is saying? That without the pain of discipline, you cannot have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Parents, we all long for our children to have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But if there is never a pain, there cannot be the peaceable fruit. Beware of saving your children from the consequences of their sinful decisions. You need wisdom here, do you not? You need wisdom to know when to step in and to help and to aid your children. The effects of not doing this? Talk with Pastor Sloan about the incarceration rates and the lack of fathers and discipline in the home. In the United States, we're the world's leader in one category, fatherlessness. 18.5 million children today do not have fathers in the home. 85% of children with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 70% of all adolescents in drug and alcohol rehab centers right now originate from homes without fathers. Homes without fathers are nine times, those kids are nine times more apt to drop out of high school. And homes without fathers represent 90% of all the homeless and runaway children. As the father goes, So goes the family. So goes the church. So goes the society at large. Beloved, our discipline should teach our children how to respond to the Lord's loving guidance in a way that fosters a love for God. Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. That first part, doesn't scare me as much as the last part. My son, give me your heart. I can command that. But then he says, may your eyes observe my ways. You see, in instructing and modeling the faith, our children are learning it through the teaching and the catching of it by watching his mom and dad. And thirdly, fathers, don't provoke your children to resentment. Verse 21 of Colossians 3. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. To provoke is to exasperate. The word association has to do with inciting anger and frustration. Paul is not saying fathers never get your children angry. He's not saying that. That's impossible. Because if you are a faithful father, you're going to get your children angry at you. You can say it in the kindest way you can say it, the most gentle way you can say it, but no means no. You know, kids, we go through, parents go through like eight weeks of training learning how to say no, right? You didn't know that, but just learning how to say no. Fathers, do you know how to say no? Just practice saying no for no's sake, just so you can bring the flesh into submission. Just practice the discipline of saying no. Being a faithful father is having to tell your child things they don't want to hear. You see, what Paul here is referring to, though, is to provoking your children to a subtle anger or to resentment, dealing with them in such a way that their response is not obedience but rejection. 
Now, this is frightening, isn't it? That if we employ discipline in a manner that is provoking, exasperating, causes our children to respond angrily or to have a settled disposition of disobedience toward us, that we can produce this. You see, what the Holy Spirit is saying here and what he's describing is an overbearing parental manner that crushes the soul of the child. And I believe Paul speaks specifically to fathers because I believe fathers are oftentimes a little more heavy-handed in the home than mom. Practically speaking, speaking, rather, this happens when we parent in this way. We create an environment where the child believes they can never do anything right. The expectations of the child will never be satisfied because I can never please this man. I can never live up to what he's demanding of me. I can never do anything right. The best is never good enough. All because of unreasonable expectations and constantly berating the child. What are some of the ways we can do this? And I want to give you these, and there's quite a list here. I've mastered this list, unfortunately, many times. First, we can exasperate, provoke our children to anger by being unpredictable. That is, the child never knows what to expect. Is dad going to fly off the handle because of this? There's a disproportionality the way discipline is administered in the home. The father blows up at a minor offense and he lets the major slide. Secondly, when the father is unreasonable. When children are young, obedience is without question. The parents, as your child ages... You need to live with them with a re- in a reasonable way. Dads, try to listen to your daughter's heart. Your daughter is not a dog. It's not a pet. Your son is not. He doesn't need, uh, what's his name, the, the, the dog whisperer. They need a father. You need to listen to their hearts. You're shaping their hearts. They're image bearers. They're redeemed by grace. And the word of God says, as they obey you, they please the Father. But if we're not careful, they won't please us. Something's amiss. Something's askew when that happens. When they can please God, but they can never please their parents. This is searching. I, I know it is. It's, it's searching for me because I've messed up. I've been unreasonable, unpredictable. What about unfairness? There, there's no sense of equity regarding the offense, right? Or, or favoritism, when one child in the home is favored over another. How's that working out in the book of Genesis? How'd that work out when we went through Genesis? How, what kind of fruit was reaped there? Was that a profitable time? How about selfishness? Parents living out their childhood dreams in their children vicariously. You can just go to the local diamond next Saturday and watch fathers on the sideline living out fantasies that they were never saw to materialize because they're trying to live them out through their little child. Extremes, over-discipline, under-discipline, criticism without praise, quick to jump on their faults, 
slow or never apt to praise. When's the last time you told your son, I'm proud of you, son? I love you, son. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. Or your daughter, I, I, there's no one more lovely than you, sweetheart. I'm here. I'll be your knight. Give me your heart, my daughter. Give me your heart. There's nothing I value more than your heart. Insensitivity, right? This is where teens, some of you have young kids and it's kind of foreign. You need to put this in the toolbox. A father's failure to listen. Father minimizes what the child is going through because we don't listen well. Though we have two ears and one mouth, somehow we listen, we speak twice as much as we listen. Unavailability. Father's too busy, or he's absent, or he's present, but he's not there. You can be an absentee father, be present, and still not be there. Particularly when the child needs the father. Breaking promises. You want to exasperate your children? You want to provoke them to anger? You want them to have this settled resentment and bitterness that every time they think about the home, they think about, oh man, that's, that's a place you can never satisfy anyone. The expectations are unreal. You'll never meet them in my father's home. You want to exasperate them? Give them your word and then break it. It caused that heart to callous and harden. Right before your eyes. Erode the trust. How about this one? This one gets me. Hypocrisy. When dad is one thing in the church and something different at home. He's a chameleon. It's a shell game. Right? How about legalism? Right? When you're just a Pharisee. This is germane to the last one, right? Man-made rules are more important than living as a sinner saved by grace. Be careful, fathers. That little heart that God's given you, now listen, fathers, that's an eternal being. I think it was Dabney or Thornwell, one of the Southern Presbyterians, I read that one time, and it, it put the fear of God in me. Those children that have been entrusted to you are immortal souls. They're going to spend eternity in either hell or heaven. They've been entrusted to you. Now, God has to give the increase. God has to regenerate. But he doesn't work in a vacuum. He works through means, through secondary causes. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become what? Discouraged. Lest you crush their spirit. We're surrounded by a culture where their fathers have crushed the spirits of their children. We're absorbed with it. Lightfoot says this about discouragement. To be discouraged or to lose heart, it's, it's to go about their task in a listless, moody, sullen frame of mind. There's no joy in Joyville, in Dullville. Dad comes home, he, He's just a man. He's the no, no man. There's no laughter, no love, no hugs, no caressing, no appreciation. It's just 
You wait till your father gets home. That's all the children here, Mom. We're doing a disservice. And fathers, we need to step up. We must understand that the damaging effects of exasperating your child are cumulative. Over time, they begin to question their worth, and they can become embittered. I see it. I see it in pastor's kids. They, they actually become embittered. I, I, I actually can think of two people right off the top of my head, well-known, cultural, iconic preacher types whose children have blogs and video blogs about the, 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 the falseness of Christianity and the bitterness and the, and the venom that's within their heart. And I think to myself, was there provoking in that home? Was there exasperating in that home? Was that child's spirit crushed? Dads, our job is to know each child well enough to know exactly what makes them tick. Just like our wives, we have to exegete our wives, we have to exegete our children. We need to know how to encourage them to be all that God has called them to be. And what God's called them to be might be a little different than we would have liked to imagine them to be. And, and that one gets me. It's like, I have expectations for my children. I think he's going to do X, Y, and Z. And then he, he's, he comes, I think he's going to be an engineer. He's a poet. I think, no, you have to raise up the child that God's given you with a unique personality. Train them up in the way they should go. Love them. You see, our goal for our children should be that they will become all that God has called them to be. We're called to cultivate them by grace. And remember to be patient. Let me say this. Zero to five years of age seems like an eternity. Right? All you're doing is cleaning up bodily fluids. But let me tell you this. Five to 18 is but a moment. They're gone. They ride off. Well, they're not gone, gone, but you know what I mean. Your influence diminishes with time, with time increases. You see, as Christian parents, we are stewards, not owners of our children. Other than the gospel, our children are one of the greatest treasures we have been entrusted with. Beloved, they belong to Christ. <laughs> they don't belong to you. They're made in heaven, made by God, and they're made for God. And God has entrusted in you, them to you to steward, to train them, to discipline them, to disciple them, not to exasperate them. So the Christian home, there are two builders, Jesus says, right? There's the wise builder. He's the obedient man. He hears the word of God. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Obey him in everything. The wise builder also hears, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The wise man says, I'm going to heed that. That's sobering, Pastor Bullock. The foolish man, it's like water off a duck's back, right? He's building on sand. He hears it, but he doesn't heed it. He doesn't learn. He's a fool. 
He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. He hears the word of God and it's in one ear, out the other. There are two foundations, the rock and the sand. There are two results, two destinies. One stands, the others fall. What about you? As for you and your house, what are you going to do today? I know this is a hard sermon for me. I have a, a child who's not professed faith yet. Not an hour. It usually goes by in the day. I don't think about it. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest you crush them, discourage them, exasperate them. Children, raise your head. All of us are children of the Father in Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. As your pastor on the authority of the Word of God, God delights in you. He's pleased with you. Now go run in the obedience that the Son of God secured for you and please Him. May God give us grace, right? We're in this together. I'm a brother's keeper. I need each one of you. You need me. What the world needs is the church to be the church. To be the city on the hill. Not the United States, but the church of the firstborn, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. May God give us grace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we can please you. We can please you because we are in the beloved, the one in whom you are well pleased, the one in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen, the one in whom you place the benediction on at his baptism, at the transfiguration, and even there, you told the disciples to listen to him. And I pray this day we would listen to him and we would be wise builders. We would take heed to the word of God. We would place ourselves in here under this word and we as obedient children would please you. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray and ask your blessing now as we come to the table, the table for sinners like us. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.